This is Eli Harris, co-founder of R0 Systems. And if you want to learn how to level up and be successful through masterminds, then you should listen to my good friend, Brandon Straza with the Mastermind Effect. You love to learn, grow, and improve yourself, but you're still not where you want to be? The right mastermind can be the ultimate secret weapon when it comes to personal development, but trying to find the one that's built for you isn't always easy. Welcome to the Mastermind Effect, the one and only show that focuses on helping you cut through the noise, invest in yourself, and move past your natural limits. This is everything you need to know about masterminds, brought to you by your host, Brandon Straza. Hey, everyone. Today, we've got the co-founder of R0, Eli Harris. And this one's not your typical episode. Want to learn about the mindset of someone who just 18 months ago was showing the door as the CEO, and now the same company has over a $1.2 billion valuation? Want to know why sleep and exercise change everything? And you wanted to hear how a true entrepreneur does it? Then check it out. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show where you know I believe the only way to unlock your potential is to tap into the experience of others. And today, to help us do that, we have got the co-founder of R0, Eli Harris. Eli, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me, Brandon. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Hey, when the listeners realize all the value that you're bringing and and, and want to either reach out and connect or learn more about you, your story, and, and what you do, what's the best place for them to reach out to you personally or through social? Uh, LinkedIn is best. Uh, Eli Harris, R0 Systems. I'm the co-founder and president. Uh, it should be easily searchable. And, and LinkedIn is great. A great tool. Awesome. Awesome. Now you are, you are, this is not your first rodeo. This is not your first startup. You have, you have gone through, and I said right before we hopped on is, Hey, you know, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. But the reality is the road to success is paved in skeletons. And you, you've had a few of those. If you wouldn't mind sharing, like this is, this is your second go round of what you had built, where it's at, and like where you're at now and how you got that mindset by surrounding yourself with the right mentors, the right coaches, what pulled you through that? And if you could, if you wouldn't mind, just rewind a little bit and give us that story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've definitely been in the trenches and have some battle scars to show for it. Uh, and then it is not always a sexy journey, uh, but I'll just kind of zoom out 10,000 feet up and just give you a little uh, insight into my last decade. Uh, and then we can dive a little bit more into this current venture as, as, as we go forward. Um, but I, I started my career in mainland China. Uh, I did a couple of Fulbrights in Beijing, uh, initially thinking I wanted to work in foreign service. Uh, I, I actually, I, I quickly moved on from that fantasy, uh, but I, I was loving my time in China. Uh, I, I learned Chinese fluently, which I'm proud of because I worked really hard for that. And, and I found that inherently just being uh, on the ground in China, being bilingual, uh, I was just presented with a lot more uh, opportunity and could command a lot more authority and respect uh, than I could at my young age in the U.S. Um, and I, a, a chance meeting actually turned into a job at DJI. Uh, so I went down south to Shenzhen, and I spent a few years working at DJI, the, the world's largest drone company. Uh, it's a Chinese company. Uh, they had 3,000 employees, uh, less than a dozen uh, non-Chinese. Uh, and in that role, I, I got to uh, kind of accelerate my career. Uh, my dad gave me one piece of advice when I was young, and I, I don't always listen to my dad, but I, I, I really always held on to this. Uh, he said, if you're doing a job you're qualified for, you're doing the wrong job. Uh, and, and I loved that. Um, and he, he always kind of encouraged me to dive in the deep end and, and get out of my comfort zone. And at DJI, I got to help build their entire commercial drone business uh, in Europe and North America. Uh, so I went to over a dozen countries in a year and a half and helped them understand how to use drones in public safety, construction, agriculture, mining, 
uh, and got to work with a lot of Fortune 100 companies, understanding how they could use drones in their different applications. When, when you're flying a drone, if you're taking a selfie and having fun on the beach, uh, 20 minutes is great. Uh, if you're mapping an oil pipeline or a large farm, you got to keep a drone in the air much longer. So I got really invested in batteries. And I worked closely with the battery engineers at DJI. Uh, and I, I got really close with, with, with two gentlemen in particular, uh, both Chinese guys. Uh, and then three of us, which uh, initially started to conceptualize an idea to build a lithium ion drone recharging hub in the field. And then we pivoted that to think, you know what, uh, what we're building to recharge drones could actually be universally applicable and market agnostic. And we have an opportunity to actually evolve the fuel combustion Honda gas generator into a entirely uh, eco-friendly solar rechargeable lithium ion battery system. So the three of us left, I was 25 years old, uh, I'm at 24 actually. So I, I left with two Chinese, Chinese battery engineers and the three of us started our first venture based out of Shenzhen. Uh, and our mission was to build large, high capacity lithium ion battery packs. Uh, for three and a half years, I, I served as CEO. Uh, we, we worked seven days a week, 16 hours a day uh, for three and a half years. I mean, this was my identity. It was all consuming. Uh, we ended up raising uh, almost $20 million. Uh, we built two battery plant manufacturing plants from scratch. We had over 100 employees. Uh, we ended up shipping 200,000 products to 37 countries. Uh, and we were doing a, a quite a bit in revenue, uh, but batteries are expensive. Uh, they, they are, uh, so we were not profitable. We were raising and growing, raising and growing. Uh, and, and eventually, uh, we need to raise more money. Uh, the capital markets tightened a bit. Uh, we were struggling to raise money, and we raised a down round from a, a very Chinese uh uh, institution. Uh, and, and with that pivot, totally a surprise to me after three and a half years running this company as CEO, uh, doing millions in funding, millions in revenue, hundreds of thousands of products, uh, I was actually shown the door. Uh, and I was totally blindsided after three and a half years, given my whole life to this, uh, I was pushed out uh, and I was given a, a very nominal buyout. Uh, and, and less than a year later, uh, the company has now become a unicorn. Uh, so the, the company that I, I spent three and a half years of my life building my identity around, put my whole heart and soul into, ran as CEO. Uh, after all that time, I was uh, I was really fired from my, my own company, pushed out, pennies on the dollar, uh, and uh, and now my partners are uh, have made over a hundred million dollars. Um, so it was it's, it took me a year to get over it. I came back to the states. I started seeing a therapist. I, I talked to a lot of coaches and mentors and uh, tried all kinds of different psychotherapy. But I mean, it was. It was humiliating. I was angry. I was sad. I mean, it was it was my identity. I had to kind of reconstruct uh, this idea of who I thought I was. Um, it took me about a year to get over it, but now I, I'm back in the arena again. There you go. You're back in the arena. But let's let's dive a little bit deeper into. You said you found the right coaches, the right ma the, the the right mentors, the, the 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 right therapist to help pull you through it. What when you were looking, who was it that you were looking for? Were you taking recommendations like, hey, you need to go talk to this coach over here, this corner man over here, this mentor over here, this therapist over here? What helped guide you to find the right people in the right order to get your mind back where you knew it could be, but it had been it had been picked apart by two people you considered friends, you know, family, dare I say. And 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 what was it? that helped you find the right people to help get you where you're at now? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it evolved. I mean, there's there no shortage of people along the way because it, my, my mental state evolved along the way. I mean, uh, I, I mean, for anger, sadness, uh, feelings of inadequacy, uh, I, a lot of regret and, and thinking about who I was and what my esteem was and, and what my worth was. And 
uh, if I deserved that kind of a treatment. Uh, I mean, I, I, I went through every emotion possible. And, and I mean, I, of course, there's nothing to, uh, to trade for just good family and friends who love you no matter what and hear you vent, but they, they have an emotional bias, right? They, they know you, they're biased to support you. And sometimes it's nice to have that level of uh, objectivity or almost this, this clinicalness uh, of either a uh, uh, somebody from the outside, whether they're a, a therapist, a coach, a mentor, uh, I, I mean, for, for different parts of my life, I, 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 I tried to find different outlets. Um, I, I mean, I, I spoke to kind of a, a traditional psychotherapist to really understand this, uh, this identity crisis I was going through as I was unwinding uh, this whole chapter of my life that was so uh, intimate. And, and I, I had this idea of myself as Eli the entrepreneur, Eli the China guy. And then all of a sudden that was all taken from me. And I had to figure out, okay, so who am I now in the absence of of these things, um, and that I mean that that is more that is more internal work. Uh, but then, of course, I mean I spoke to business mentors and, and lawyers who, uh, and I tried to find people who had similar experiences cross border, China, U.S. Uh, some folks that were much further along in the journey who uh, had much more experience and wisdom than I had, and and others who were almost peers who are were kind of a little bit more relatable in life stage who were also working through a similar journey. But it's 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 hard. I mean, as, as an entrepreneur, I mean, you're I mean, you're you're staring at the sun, chewing glass. I mean, it, it is disorienting. It, it, there, there is no uh, established trail. I mean, you are inherently creating new value and creating something new. And it's important to to gain reference points through your own experience and and through that of of others' experience. Uh, but but those, those are just reference points. No nobody nobody can give you the playbook. Uh, if, if you think you've received the playbook, then you're, you're probably making a grave mistake trying to follow that blindly. Uh, it's yeah. accumulating those reference points. Yeah, you're in the you're in the wrong game if you if you if you're able to take someone else's playbook and be like, I'm going to redesign and do exactly what they did because nothing's ever going to be the same twice go around. All right, so you went through this experience. It has now shaped you for you finding yourself. I I, I don't mean to put words, but like of who you are today, where your identity is you. It's not the company. It's not the CEO, Eli. It's it's who you are. When when were you able to break away and say, "Hey, listen, you know what? I got my rear end handed to me. Didn't see it coming by people that I considered friends. What did you do differently? And who did you surround yourself with going into R zero? And we'll get into what R zero, you know, what you guys, what your team over there is doing. But you guys are already in, I mean, like you, you're you already in thousands of either businesses or homes right now with the, with the new company that you've done. But what have you done differently to set your mind so you are who you are and the company is who it is and you don't go through, go through those same emotions again? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, and I, I think it's a process something I'm still trying to come to terms with now. Uh, but, but there definitely is a little bit of a, a, a separation, right, of acknowledging who I am, what my value is, and, and taking pride in uh, in, in my past experiences, the journey that I've been on, uh, what I can bring to the table, uh, and, and that is separate from the role I play at the company. Um, so, so there is a little bit of a, a separation, and you need to acknowledge your your, your value independent of your role. Um, so, so that's been great. Um, I mean, R zero has been in, it's just such an amazing journey. It, it, it's, I mean, I, I feel like this is the positive manifestation of the years and years of sacrifice and pain and struggling. I, I don't look at the success of R0 as the last 18 months that we've been on this rocket ship trajectory. I, I look at this as the result of the last decade that I worked my butt off just chasing it. Uh, and, and I and I really put my whole heart into it. And I think this is the, the manifestation of that. 
Um, so I, I mean, my, I, I think I also learned in my last experience, I, I think I did have good instincts around the opportunity, around the market. Uh, I, I think I did have good, I, I really did have good business instincts and market instincts. Uh, I didn't have the right instincts around people. And I think that's what I learned going into this one is that without the right people, it doesn't matter what the opportunity is. Uh, so I, I've been much more judicious in, in who I surround myself with. And at R0, I, I just, I couldn't be any luckier. Um, I, I have a, a, a history with both of the gentlemen. I, I have two co-founders, Ben Boyer and Grant Morgan. Uh, I've known Grant for seven years now. Uh, we, we met actually through a, a failed business uh, encounter uh, in 2015. Uh, he and I worked on a, a potential partnership. Uh, Grant was on the founding team of a company called iCracked. Uh, they did decentralized uh, repairs of, of high-end electronics. And I was at DJI, the drone company. And we talked about a program to utilize uh, his service iCracked to repair DJI drones in the field. Uh, the partnership never materialized, but we became uh, friends. And, and I really admired him. He was just a few years older than me, just a small step ahead in life, but still very relatable. He was in Silicon Valley. He raised a bunch of money. Uh, he, he was kind of on that that entrepreneurial track that I fantasized about. So as I took my leap uh, with my first battery venture, uh, I, I, Grant was kind of a, a peer mentor of mine throughout my entire journey. And, and we were very frugal and he was in San Francisco. And, and as I started doing business in San Francisco, instead of getting a hotel, I would stay on his couch. Uh, so, so for years, I, uh, I, I leveraged that. And even as the company grew and we had money to get a hotel, I didn't care. I wanted to stay on Grant's couch. So I, I spent years and he really served as a peer mentor through my first entrepreneurial journey and saw me through those ups and downs. And, and he knew my whole journey, my whole story inside out. So when I started EcoFlow, I sorry, when I started R0, I got a call from Grant and, and I was all ears and, and I couldn't feel luckier. I mean, he's been a, a kind of a peer mentor of mine for a while. And then our third partner, Ben Boyer, uh, actually is a venture capitalist to 25 years. And he sat on Grant's board at his first venture, iCraft. So they have a long history of almost a decade. Uh, so the, the three of us, the, there is established uh, trust and, and there is uh, shared uh, understanding and sympathy and, and, and really um, admiration for, for the past that all of us had led up until now. Wow. I mean, you, you look at it through all of that. You're honest and open about the fact that, hey, it affected me. It, it impacted me. But it's a 10 year journey of, of having those moments, getting told no, getting, you know, getting sideswiped. And that's at the end of the day, that's allowing you to find your purpose for what you're building with, with R0. Uh, you know, let's, let's kind of shift gears a little bit and we'll get back into the coaching and the, the mentorship ways and how you were able to pull yourself with it. But tell us, what is R0 doing right now? What's your long-term mission, vision, and values for what you and your co-founders are building? Yes. So just a couple of just high level, just to kind of Tarantino it, just to be some little fun facts about the company. But I mean, we, we are now, we were founded on April 7th of last year. So we, we, we were, the, the conception of this was in the wake of COVID. Uh, and, it, and it started with COVID, but it's now much greater. Uh, and since April of last year, less than a year and a half, uh, we've now raised more than $60 million. Uh, we've done more than $20 million in bookings. Uh, we're in thousands of schools, jails, professional sports teams, commercial real estate, uh, restaurants, hotels. Uh, we have more than 50 employees. Uh, we built the company entirely remotely, and we're going to double uh, in the next six months. Uh, so we, we are just absolutely firing. And I keep pinching myself, but also as an entrepreneur, right? So all, all of the interest is in the company, right? So we're on this crazy trajectory, and I've won all these public accolades, and I'm all over the news. 
uh, but but again, in my personal life, it hasn't manifested yet. Uh, so that, that's another uh, another lesson learned as an entrepreneur. Uh, it, it is very much a journey. But what we're doing is, I mean, really, really in the wake of COVID, we we started looking at the disinfection industry as a whole. Uh, it's sort of acknowledging that uh, the the disinfection industry is one of the last large industries, literally hundreds of billions of dollars of market cap, governed by these giant Goliath players. Clorox, Ecolab, Diversi, SC Johnson. Each one of these companies is over 100 years old. And each one of them has over $100 billion in market cap. And they're all pushing the same commodity chemicals. And in 1918, in the Spanish flu, we responded by washing our hands and using chemicals. And 100 years later, we're doing the same thing. And this is one of the last industries that we have not evolved in our thinking around uh, disinfection and infection prevention and and how we look at how people interact in shared spaces as it relates to biosafety. So uh, we started digging deeper and deeper, and we got in touch with Dr. Richard Wade. And Dr. Wade is the former director of Cal OSHA. Uh, he served as executive director for 15 years. Uh, and he joined us as, as kind of a, a mentor, a coach, and our guru uh, from a scientific lens. Uh, and he joined us as a shareholder. And, and he led us on this journey to really understand uh, what tools exist in infection prevention today. Uh, why are those best tools uh, not uh, democratized across industries? Uh, why are we not using them outside of the hospital setting? Uh, and then what are the limitations of those tools? Uh, and how can we evolve uh, this entire industry and, and use the same level of sophistication and technology that we use in all other parts of our lives? Um, so we saw this big opportunity to really uh, modernize the entire disinfection industry. Uh, and, and that's what we're doing. And we started out by looking at what hospitals were doing uh, in terms of infection prevention and thinking about how could we uh, quickly bring to market the best in class hospital grade tools uh, and, and just evolve and adapt them uh, for all commercial enterprises. Uh, and that's what we've done. Uh, so we've taken hospital grade UVC lights, we've evolved them to make them more dynamic for any commercial organization and we're the first company to build in to build in a software layer. So we've made it a connected device so you can actually audit disinfection activity. Because never before have you been able to actually have any compliance. You send crews to spray, to wipe, to clean. And at the end, they manually sign a checklist or a log. Or if you're really fancy, you might scan a QR code. But there's no way of actually knowing what was done in that space. And by creating connected systems, we can actually create real-time audit trails so you can see objectively with no human error, true compliance and say, okay, in a school, classroom 17 was turned over at nine o'clock last night, but the teacher's lounge was missed. Or before I showed up to my yoga class, the yoga studio was disinfected. Or before I check into this hotel, here's proof that at 11 o'clock, when the last guest checked out, my room was turned over. So not only are we offering these hospital-grade technologies, and making them uh, accessible. We're also adding a software layer that, that gives visibility into this process that's historically been invisible. So that's what we've done in our, in our first year, and that's where success has come from to date. Uh, but we, we've now evolved into a, a much larger vision. I've, I've got to ask, so when has this become uh, consumer-based, consumer, you know, where, where, where someone says, hey, I want my house to have what you guys are providing, when does it get down to that level? So, so the, the, the truth is, uh, so it, it could happen now. I mean, there, there's no difference in technology. The, the, but the truth is that most people aren't actually getting sick in their homes. They're getting sick when they go out to these 
shared spaces, these enterprise venues. So uh, if we actually think about where most risk is in society, that's what we wanted to address first. Um, you know, I, I think there's kind of the optics, right? Like even in a big office space, our one of our largest customers is a giant hedge fund. They have offices all across the country. Uh, we went in there and we did a risk analysis uh, together with a, a, an outside scientific group. And we said in all of their commercial real estate all across the country, their highest risk is just in the bathrooms. That is where more people are getting sick. So we signed a $1.6 million contract to outfit to outfit all of their bathrooms all across the country. Um, and, and people think, oh, well, my cubicle, you know, I, I want the open lobby disinfected every single night. But nobody's actually getting sick at their cubicle. They're the only one there. Where they're getting sick is when they all go to the bathroom and you flush toilets and wash hands and everything gets up in the air and people are breathing and it's a confined space and there's traffic in and out and in and out. Um, so we're, we're actually able to get a lot smarter about risk and, and where we're going as a company uh, and, and what our big break is, is, is I think, about to be is um, we're starting to outfit buildings with sensors. Because if you think about disinfection today, it's all done based on time. Every night you clean a space, every week you clean a space. But that may or may not actually have anything to do with risk. So it's actually very affordable to outfit buildings with sensors where you capture no individual data, but you look at utilization. You can use infrared sensors to see uh, where people go in spaces, how many people were in each space. You can count people. You can see occupancy. So what we're going to start doing is actually disinfecting based on risk. So if nobody used that conference room, don't send your crew there. If 10 people use that bathroom, it doesn't matter if it's been two hours or two days, send somebody in there. So there's an opportunity to not only use labor way more efficiently uh, and stop cleaning, disinfecting when you don't need to, but also mitigate more risk. Uh, so we're going to start automating workflows and producing automated work orders based on how spaces are actually used. And then we're also looking at doing some installed assets. So uh, installed fixtures on your ceiling and your wall of UVC lights uh, that are automatically connected to those utilization sensors. So they turn on and off automatically based on usage. So through these systems, we can actually remove the labor and chemical from disinfection entirely. The two most expensive parts of disinfection are labor and chemicals. And we have an opportunity to remove that. And the truth is, none of this is rocket science. It, it really isn't. All of these technologies have existed for many years in other forms, but nobody's ever tied it together in a, in a with a software ecosystem in this industry. Wow. So, I mean, it's the true definition of working smarter, not harder, especially for the people on the other end or that are utilizing your, your product and your software because of the fact that it's literally telling them, you need to go here, focus your energy over here, as opposed to wasting chemicals, time and resources. You know, if the resources are the chemicals and the time are the people that you're paying to clean the rooms, you're saving them time and resources because those are two things that are super limited. Like we, we, we only have so much when it comes to time and resource. You, you had mentioned right there about evolving. How are you evolving in your mindset as, as you brought up the evolution of the industry that you're looking to change? So how did you, how are you continuing to evolve in your mindset with the company that you're building now yeah. with your partnership compared yeah. to previously. So, so really, I, I guess one thing we've learned is that the tools we're using today to prevent COVID are viable against all pathogens, uh, common cold, seasonal flu, uh, norovirus, E. coli, MRSA, SARS, whatever it is. And, and these pathogens are huge cost centers for different industries. For food processing, it's E. coli. For the cruise industry, it's norovirus. Sports teams, the staff infections. 
So there's actually a huge opportunity to address those cost centers. And and what we're actually looking to do is just fundamentally reduce sick days, uh, which is not that hard to do. If we can reduce the pathogen load in any given space with better technologies based on risk, then statistically, we will have fewer sick days. And and you have a background in insurance, but all large companies are self-insured. Any company over 2,700 employees, they are self-insured. So if we can come in and build a model, we're working with MIT right now on a risk model, so we can come into any given space, we can actually measure their uh, floor plans, their utilization, how many air changes they have per hour in their HVAC, and we can actually give them a baseline risk score and then show how the implementation of our technology will actually uh, objectively, scientifically reduce that risk and what that actually means in terms of sick days. So if we can reduce sick days for any organization that's self-insured, that's lower healthcare-related costs. That goes straight to their bottom line. So they're, they're, they're not buying your product. They're not buying our solution. What they're buying is fewer uh, healthcare-related expenses. So we're selling that value. We're not actually selling our technology. And if we can prove that with data scientifically, then there is no company in the world that is self-insured that would pass on this system. They are buying a clear data-driven proven cost savings. And, and that is what they're buying. Now, now, short of, you know, someone else out there having the same idea, how do you protect yourself? Because I think a lot of it is, you know, intellectual property. And how do you protect yourself from someone coming in and saying, oh, okay, we've got this. We already have the fact, we have all these things. But from then duplicating what you're already changing after 100 years of the same thing over and over again. I mean, I can't, you know, I, I don't think we ever thought about this, but the reality is doing the same thing over and over again is the definition of insanity. And obviously, the Johnson and Johnsons and, and, and that industry continue just to rinse and repeat. And you guys are coming in and disrupting it. But how do you keep from someone else coming in and saying, oh, we can do the same thing, but for XYZ price? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question. I mean, we cover our basis, right? And we have a very aggressive IP strategy, but I mean, IP is defense. You can't you can't just sit on your laurels. Um, so we, we do have an aggressive IP strategy and it, a lot of it is in the software. Um, but uh, really, I mean, the, the incumbents in the space, the Cloroxes, SC Johnson's, Diversity Ecolabs, they, they just don't have that agility or innovation in their DNA. I mean, we already have a team of machine learning engineers. Uh, I, I'd be shocked if any of those companies ha- have that kind of skill set. And then also, I mean, there's just so much that they're huge organizations, huge, that they just can't move as quickly as we're moving. So I, I'm actually not concerned about the incumbents. Uh, I, I, I think that there will be other startups that see this opportunity and want to, you know, compete or play ball. Uh, but I, I, I think that uh, I, I, would, I would bet on our team against another startup team any day. Um, there you go. Yeah. yeah. It's the people that you surround yourself with. Yeah. It's the people that like work harder, smarter, faster, and then also have that cohesive relationship. It's like a symbiotic brain that's coming together to move the ship in one direction, as opposed to everyone moving in different directions, which means you're going nowhere at the end of the day. Now you, you've used the term entrepreneur a few times and, and I, I still, you know, I, I find it a, a funny term because a lot of people are like, I'm an entrepreneur. What does entrepreneurship truly mean to you? Cause you've done it. Like you are the definition you're the leaving, living, breathing definition of an entrepreneur that got, you know, what happened. And then you came back to reinvent and actually define yourself. So how do you see the world of entrepreneurship and why you gravitated towards it? Yeah, I, um, that's a good question. And I'm not sure if I'm going to answer it directly, but I'm just going to start kind of talking my thoughts here. But um, yeah, I, I do think that 
this is a little bit of an aside, something I feel very strongly about is that it's one of the greatest misallocations of American talent that we send a lot of our best and brightest kids to go work at uh, uh, investment banking, uh, consulting, uh, even the Facebooks and Googles of the world. I mean, we're, we're funneling our smartest, smartest young talent uh, to these industries that don't inherently uh, create new value. Uh, and I kind of feel like oftentimes there is a little bit of overlap that uh, the kids who uh, end up in the position to, to go on that track often come from more privileged backgrounds. Uh, and I, I kind of feel like the, the folks that come from some sense of privilege and have this opportunity and have this education, I mean, if you're not the ones taking the leap to try something new and to take a risk and to create new value, then who the heck is out there doing it? Um, and, and I mean, when, when I hit rock bottom or what, what I thought was rock bottom after my failed experience in China, I mean, I, I felt like I had nothing, but I came home and I moved in with my dad and, and he gave me a foot massage. And, you know, it's, it's like my, my rock bottom isn't, it, it's, I, I, I feel fortunate. I still have a roof over my head and I had food to eat. And, uh, I, I feel like there's this idea of, of risk, but it really is perceived risk that a lot of our peers have. I mean, they get paralyzed thinking that, oh, well, like once I achieve X, Y, or Z in my career, or once I hit this milestone, then I can take that leap. Uh, or, you know what, I, oh, my work contract says it's a three-year contract, or my lease is a two-year lease on my apartment. And, and you kind of imagine all of these barriers that just uh, keep you in this paralysis. Uh, when, when I feel like really, I mean, the, the, there is not as much risk uh, as, as you create in your head. Um, and, and I think, I, I guess I challenge everyone to think about like, what really is their, their rock bottom? Uh, what, what does that look like for you? And, and I, I think it's uh, the, the folks who kind of have that, that spirit, entrepreneurial spirit and, and have a little bit of, of privilege that they have a roof over their head and food to eat. I mean, I feel like we have a duty to, to try to be an entrepreneur and to try something new and to put yourself out there because uh, not everyone is so lucky to even have the chance. Yeah, we have right there. I love that. Cause I tell my six-year-old son, you are going to have an unfair advantage. And it is your responsibility to go out there and choose to solve a problem, choose to do something. Money is a byproduct of solving a problem and helping people when you create a for-purpose company, which it sounds, you know, with what you guys are doing. But it is, we have a responsibility when you sit there and we say, we take calculated risks. Entrepreneurs take calculated risks. You know, we minimize the amount that we're out there, but we do things differently, really, at the end of the day. And I, I you, as you were saying, you're like, hey, I'm just going to start, you know, Brilliant. Love, love what it was because that's what it is to you. And that's what entrepreneurship is. You licked your wounds, you got your foot massage, you got back up and, and you're, you're doing it bigger and better with people that you, you've been around for a longer period of time. I mean, how amazing of a story is that to see where you, where you were at, you know, 12 to 24 months ago and where you have chosen with your mindset, with having the coaches, with having the mentors and family around you, you chose to get back up. Would it have been, would you, you know, would you sit there and said it's, it would have been just as equally as easy just to, to just say, Hey, it got me and I'm done. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I um, I, I'm still working through it. I mean, it, despite all the excitement and success now, I, I mean, I still have nightmares about it and I still, I, I get the, I, I, I see WeChat pop up on my phone and just like things that remind me of that experience. And, and now this company's all over the news after they, they're now a unicorn. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it, it, it hurts. And I, I try to fuel that. I mean, I've tried to channel that in two ways. One is I try to say, nobody can ever take away from me that I co-founded that company. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I created a lot of that value and I did that. And, and yes, I didn't get to share in that result financially, but, but that, that is experience that I can own and I should own and I should be proud of. And then the other thing is I, 
I, I use that as fuel. I, I, I get angry and, and I use that to be, and I want to, I still have a chip on my shoulder and I want to prove without a doubt that what I'm doing now is, is bigger, better, greater. Um, so I, I, I use that as fuel, um, but I, I am, I am absolutely not over it. And I don't know if I ever will be. I, I think my feelings towards it might evolve over time. And over time, I actually hope to be just more and more grateful and more and more proud and, and have those feelings of anger or sadness uh, be a, a lesser part of my mind share. Uh, but it, it's, it's tough. It, it is real tough. You've got some of the biggest athletes in time that always carry a chip on their shoulder. Tom Brady, you know, why he wasn't where he was drafted. Michael Jordan, why he didn't make, you know, said basketball team, whatever it is. And, and they use that as fuel and they never let that go. And I, I, I myself, I use the word no as my fuel driver for all the times in 40 plus years that people told me, no, don't go start this venture. No, don't exit this company. No, go, don't do all these different things. And, and, and that's, that's fuel for the soul right there. Absolutely. Just love hearing the story. I've got a few questions as we come to an end here. Now, obviously you're working and R0 is moving forward, but what are you working on over the next 12 months that really excites you? What is the next big, exciting thing that R0 has got coming up? Yeah, I mean, we're at this huge uh, kind of inflection point in our business as we look from uh, selling a product uh, we, we had uh, immediately in the wake of COVID, we had uh, optimized this hospital grade UVC device and we've been selling that product. Uh, and now we're about to start selling solutions and selling projects. And we're looking at sensors, installed assets, uh, working with contractors to actually go and do installations in buildings. Uh, and it's, it's a much more uh, complex sale. So we're moving from selling a product to selling a solution and also the, the value attached to that. And what I'm really excited about is, is how we're going to start uh, building our body of evidence and quantifying that and actually proving that not just with an MIT model, but actually going into a space and having customers and over the next year building this database of saying, hey, look at uh, XYZ company, they implement our solution. And not only did they actually reduce sick days by 14%, their productivity as a company went up 7%. Right. And, and we have an ability as a disinfection company to actually maybe even affect uh, the overall country's GDP. Uh, I mean, healthcare related costs are, I think, in the US are 20 percent of our GDP. Uh, and, and if we can bring down sick days and increase productivity, I mean, we, we have an opportunity to actually impact the productivity of our country. And, and, and can we actually start proving that over the next year as we go into spaces, as we build out our solution? Uh, are we actually materially uh, seeing impact here? Um, and I, I, I can't wait to see that manifest. I'm, I'm not sitting there, saying, but I'm like trying to put thoughts or, but the weight of that on your shoulders right there, you got to surround yourself with the right coaches, the right people, the right partners. Because if you think about that, if it's 20% of the GDP, and let's just say you tweak that by a quarter percent, half percent, dare I say 1%, the numbers are astronomical. Truly. It's above what a human yeah. mind could even compute yeah. on there. And, and yeah. that's, that that that's real impact. That's global impact, it, right? That there. is All the right. opportunity we have. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 amazing. Super cool. All right, last one. What is a tip, a tactic, an actual item that if anyone listening to this implemented this over the next 30, 60, 90 days in their personal or business life, they would see a real impact by listening to what you had to say? Oh man. Um, so so one answer I want to give that I'm just working on myself. Uh, and this is this is just so obvious. Uh, this is like less professional and more personal. But sleep and exercise change everything, everything. And it, it, it's 
so hard to prioritize. Uh, but it, when I get enough sleep and when I get some exercise, I am a, I, I, I think better. I am a, a better person, a better worker. And I'm only finally learning uh, that, that little bit of self-care. I've always taken pride in my work ethic. And I think especially because I'm younger and always trying to fudge my age upwards, I compensated by trying to work harder than anyone. And I am proud of that. And nobody works harder than me. And I, and I work uh, an insane number of hours. Uh, but I, I, I started doing it to a point that it was actually negatively impacting my contribution uh, and just carving out the littlest bit of time for sleep and exercise. I, I learned that I cannot compromise on that. Um, so, so that has been huge for me. And then in a, in a professional sense, I mean, I, I think that nobody really knows what they're doing. And the people who think they know what they're doing, I feel, again, the most sorry for them because they're probably wrong. Uh, and I, I think that it's it's really okay to 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 be humble and admit the uh, your limitations and experience or in knowledge base and ask for help and try to find people better than you who do have experience in these domains. Uh, and I think that uh, folks are, are are very receptive to uh, humility and respect. Um, and that's something I think I've always tried to do a really good job of of, of being honest, being humble, being respectful, uh, and, and being confident in in who I am and what it is I can bring to the table and what I do know, but being very, very open about the, uh, where I need to be complimented. Yeah, no, amazing sleep and exercise as simple as it sounds. We struggle with that. And I can tell you, it's made a huge difference in my life over the last 12 to 24 months when I actually started getting that imbalance. We have got the co-founder of R0, Eli Harris. Eli, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you, Brandon. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to The Mastermind Effect, your secret weapon for personal development. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to experiencing The Mastermind Effect.